Turn your Bible to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Brother Marcus read from this a little while ago. The subject this morning is sort of a strange subject. Never thirst again. What? Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. I heard a song like that many years ago. And I wish I had a copy of it. It, it, would, it was about the Lord moving in somebody's heart and he never was thirsty again. You know, John said, when Jesus comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The candle represents the fire of God. In many churches, they burn candles often. Sometimes those candles are symbols of the fire of God. When the Holy Spirit is kindled in our hearts, there's a new fire. You notice that candle before it was lighted. I think there were candles in the windows. I think they've all been taken away. But a candle that's not burning is sort of a strange object. We have some candles here at the front. They were burning during the New Year's Eve watch night service, but they're just sort of decorations. But when the candle is lighted, it gives out light and fire. You can be in the darkest night, in the darkest house, all the power has gone out. You light a candle, it seems like the whole room is lighted up. That's what happens when Jesus comes into our lives he lights a fire that doesn't go out. It sometimes is caged so you don't see it very well. Most of you cannot see this fire right now. But when that thing is moved, you can see it again. Our life is like that. So many times we cover up the fire of God by things. The world, the flesh, the devil, our personalities. We get in the way of the fire of God and what we really need to do is let the fire fall. And let the fire burn. And let the fire be seen. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, and keep in mind that the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. That goes back to the time during the Babylonian captivity when King Nebuchadnezzar took all the choice people away from Israel like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took them over to Babylon. There were left in Israel some of the people. Seventy years went by. You keep in mind what seventy years means. Here's a little child. He's born. Grows to be 10, 12, 15, 18, 20. Time to get married. He looks around. Who's he going to marry? There's spiritual silence in Israel. The prophets are gone. Israel's a desolate land. And so they intermarry with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the others. Seventy years later, when Ezra and Nehemiah led the children of Israel back to Jerusalem and Israel, when they got back, they found these who had intermarried with the heathen and they lost all contact with the spiritual truths of God. They immediately disliked those people who come back from Babylon. 
This is, this is our land. We've been here 70 years. We've grown up. We've had children. We've had, we have jobs. We don't like you. And when the Jews got back, they said the same thing about those who had intermarried with the Hittites and Jebusites and the others. They didn't like them. And so for years there grew up this partition between Judea and Galilee called Samaria. It hovered around the city of Sychar, where Jacob's well was there. And when a Jew wanted to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, he would cross the Jordan River, go up on the other side of the Jordan River, just south of the Sea of Galilee, come back across, so he would not have to go through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. But notice what Jesus did. If you look in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? He had an appointment there. He had an appointment at Jacob's well. That Samaritan woman had no idea that day when she got up, she was going to meet the Messiah. She'd heard about him. Everybody had heard about a coming of Messiah. Matter of fact, the whole world thinks about that. The Muslims think that their Messiah is going to come and he's going to be a human being that will overthrow all the, all the so-called heathen, that is the Christians and the Jews and everybody else that doesn't believe in Muslim, Muslim position. And the Jews believe the Messiah is coming and he's going to overthrow everybody else. But the Bible says when the Messiah comes, he will bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he taught Christians to love those that mistreat them. He taught Christians to do good to those that were ugly to us. He taught Christians to pray for those that abused them. And that's the heart of the fire of God in our hearts. When that fire burns low, dislike and bitterness and hatred and all those things burn up in our hearts. But when the fire of God burns high and the Holy Spirit reigns in our lives, then all those little things begin to disappear. You heard the expression, down boy. That's what the Holy Spirit says to the flesh and the devil in our lives, down boy. Get rid of that. You don't have to have that in your life anymore. Well, Here's what the scripture says, beginning of verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away to the city to buy meat. And the woman said, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me who am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus said, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. The woman didn't understand. She said, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep, it's 125 deep, feet deep. It has never been dry. I've been to Jacob's well. Several of us in the auditorium here have been to Jacob's well. You stood there and watched people draw water. That well has never been dry in all these years, 125 feet deep. She said, you don't have anything to draw with. From what are you gonna draw that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank, drank there of himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus said a phenomenal thing. He said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him 
shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a living water, a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said, Go call your husband. Why in the world did he say that? The Lord knew exactly how to get into the heart of people's heart. Go call your husband. The woman said, I have no husband. Well, she was telling the truth. Present tense, I have no husband. Jesus said, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom, to whom thou hast, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidst truly. The woman said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know all about me. Then she tried to change the subject. She said, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the men ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What a tremendous thing Jesus was saying. You see, she tried to change the subject and get on some kind of doctrine. If you ever witnessed very much, you go soul winning and you talk to somebody about coming to Jesus, they say, oh, well, you know, I go to a church that says you can be lost after you're saved. It's just an attempt to change the subject. Don't deal with that. Come right back to the main thing. What we need is Jesus. When he really comes into your heart, he'll straighten all that out. Don't get doctrinally disenchanted. The woman tried that. And then notice that Jesus did not deny the truth. He said, salvation is of the Jews. That's an interesting statement. Do you know who brought salvation to the world? And listen, don't ever undercut that. One reason America has defended Israel is because there's a large group of Bible believers in America who recognize that God had his hand on the Jews. Don't allow some radio correspondent or some politician to tell you, well, the Arabs have as much right to Jerusalem as the Jews do. That isn't true. God gave that land to the Jews. And Jesus is saying, salvation is the Jews. There would be no salvation if it did not come channeled down through the Jewish race because the Jews were the container through which the Messiah would come into the world. And Jesus himself was a Jew. He was not being prejudiced when he said salvation is of Jews. He was being doctrinal. She tried to change the subject and Jesus just changed it right back but doesn't argue about it. Now he says the time is coming when you're not going to either worship at Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal or Sychar or the Samaritan well or down at Jerusalem. They who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth because God is a spirit. God is spirit. And they worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, 
Look what happened to this woman. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he's come, he will tell us all things. Mark verse 26 in your Bible, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Some people have said Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Write that verse in your Bible, mark it well. I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus said to that woman at Samaria, you've been looking for the Messiah, he's here. And upon this, his disciples came and marveled. He talked with the woman. Nobody said anything. They didn't know what to say. They were scared to death. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meantime, while his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I have something more important than steak or french fries or pizza I have something more important I've been telling this woman how to get to heaven well pretty soon the woman brought some of the men out that she had said to them come see a man who told me everything I ever did this must be the Messiah and they came out and believed her word and then many came and heard Jesus and they believed because they heard Jesus this says so much to us number one the people coming to Jesus, they believed what the woman told them because the woman was not ashamed to tell them. That's where you and I come in. We must not be ashamed to go and tell what great things he had done for us. He has changed our life. He's changed our mind. He's changed our destiny. He's changed us so that we're on our way to heaven. We're marching to Zion. And then, when we present Jesus to them, they want Jesus because of who Jesus is. So people are attracted to Jesus because of the witness we bear and because the Holy Spirit moves into their hearts and touches them and draws them. Well, who is this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is that which makes a difference in your life. with the most dangerous group of people in the world. Violence, thievery, murder were on common on every hand. And when they would kill somebody, they would eat them. This was those tribes. In 1849, early in his work, John Getty wrote in his diary, in the darkness, degradation, pollution, and misery that surrounds me, I look toward in faith to the time when some of these poor islanders will unite in the triumph song of ransomed souls. John Getty believed God. He believed that he could make a difference. He was so filled with God, he dared to confront his own doubt with absolute belief in God's power. John Getty died before Christmas 1872. They erected a gravestone over his grave, and here were the words. In memory of John Getty, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he left, 
1872, there were no heathen here. One man made an eternal difference. Why? Because he was filled with the holy power of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that wonderful presence of Jesus. He teaches us to love because he first loved us. The Holy Spirit is filled with love. And when he comes into our lives, he gives us love. He reveals the things of God. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And when you and I grieve the Holy Spirit, it hurts God's heart. There's a song that says, when God cried. I don't really like the title, but what it's saying is, you and I who know the Lord can grieve the Holy Spirit so much that heaven cries. What does the Holy Spirit do? First of all, He convicts. He convicts us of sin. When the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict us of righteousness, of the sin of unbelief, of the judgment of the devil. He'll show us God is right and Satan and his crowd are wrong. The Holy Spirit does that. See, the world doesn't do that. The movies don't do that. The flesh doesn't do that. The devil doesn't do that. But God's Holy Spirit convicts us, convinces us that God is right. And when we know that in our heart and we're face to face with it, we have to deal with it. The Holy Spirit loves. He's like the hound of heaven, searching hour after hour, day after day, week after week, on and on, tracking us down our sins, calling and tugging and rebuking and loving us all the while. And then when the Holy Spirit comes into our, high, our hearts, you know what he does? Listen to this. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, in whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession. I have in my hand an envelope marked the Holy Spirit. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he changes you. I have some pictures here. I have a picture of Tack and Lana Oy. I was present years ago at Vine Grove in a revival meeting when Tack Oy walked down the aisle confessing Christ as his savior. I saw him baptized. He later came to this church, became a great testimony for the Lord. And then he met Lana and Lana was lost. And some of our young ladies went over there and talked to her about Jesus. And she came here, walked down this aisle, confessed Christ as her savior, then God put them together. This is their picture. When they gave their hearts to Christ, God sealed them with the Holy Spirit. I have a picture of Max Oldham here with his football. All of us know Max and respect him and love him. In January of last year, Max gave his heart to Christ. Immediately, the Holy Spirit sealed him unto the day of redemption. Then the Holy Spirit set his seal upon those men. Sealed unto the day of redemption. 
Nobody can break God's seal. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When He comes into our lives, He seals us until the day of redemption. He lives inside of us. And He says, I'm never going to let you be lost because you're mine. You may drift away. You may get un uncertain. You may have some problems in your life. But I will never forsake you. And I have sealed you. One day, that seal will be opened by the Lord Himself in heaven. And those of us who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit will be there with Him forever. Now when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He gives us a drink of pure water. I have two classes here today. Here's a class. Doesn't look so appetizing. I wouldn't want to drink this. Would you? Uh, Curtis, if I asked you to come here and drink this, would you drink it? Look at it. It's filthy. That's what the world looks like. And the world says, here, come get a drink at the movies. Come get a drink at the dances. Come get a drink at the gambling places. Come get a drink of all the world has to offer. And a lot of unlearned, I started to call it dumb people. Maybe I shouldn't call them that. They're unlearned. They're not knowing what they're doing. They come and drink that trash. They think it satisfies. Jesus said, whoever drinks this water, this water, it's 125 feet deep. Jacob's well, it's never gone dry. But you drink it, you'll thirst again. <clears throat> you drink at the fountain of wealth. You drink at the fountain of popularity. You drink at the fountain of pleasure. You drink at the fountain of youthful lusts. You drink at those fountains and you want more. He said, when you drink of the water of life, it'll satisfy you. I'm not afraid to drink it. I'm not afraid to offer it to Curtis. I wouldn't offer you this, Curtis. Now, when you drink the water of life, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside of you. He seals you to the day of redemption. And He loves people through you. When you allow God's Holy Spirit to fill you to the brim, he loves through you other people. If there's an absence of love in our lives, it's because we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will love other people through us. He'll give us wisdom. He'll show us how to talk and how to walk and what to do with our lives and how to use our time and how to worship. First thing he does is knock on our heart's door. If we're very quiet before the Lord, we'll hear Him. If our lives are full with all kinds of things, we can't hear Him. We were at a restaurant the other night, and there was all kinds of music going on, and the lady came over, and I quietly asked her if she would either turn the music down or turn it off. She did that. She went and turned the music off. She came back in a few minutes and said, I'd forgotten how good it is to have all that noise gone. A lot of people don't understand how good it is not have all the noise of the world all around us, but allow the Holy Spirit to so fill us that He can use us. The water that I will give you 
you'll never thirst again. It'll be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, when you dabble in the things of the world, you drink some of its trash, we're so base that we'll enjoy it. Now, listen. One of the big problems with pornography, listen carefully. One of the big problems with pornography, we're so base, if we allow ourselves to look at it, we'll like it. That's the reason so many people are hooked on it today. I heard the other day of a preacher who was hooked, so hooked on it, he lost his church, he lost his family, lost everything. Hooked on pornography. Why? Because he allowed his eyes to look on it. And we're so base that we'll like what we enjoy. You go to a big dance, you get as close to your partner as you possibly can, you'll enjoy it. Unless the Holy Spirit is inside saying, what are you doing here? You drink at the world's fountains, you might enjoy it. I'm sort of an ex extreme person. And God saw to it early in my life. When I was a young boy at Wall Street Church in Louisville, a temperance man came and preached and had everybody who would sign a statement, I will not drink liquor or beer. I signed that. When I became a teenager, there were temptations, but I remember I had signed that. I never broke that seal. That kept me from indulging in stuff that I might have liked. I'm just telling you, when the Holy Spirit controls you and you allow him to live in your life and control your life, he'll keep you out of the trash heaps of life. And you won't want to drink this kind of water anymore. You'll have a thirst for this kind of water because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit and you allow the fire of God to rule in your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the goodness of God. We're grateful that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him and receive Him and trust Him, stand on Him, would never perish but have everlasting life. And Father, we pray that today there come a desire in the life of every young person, every little child, every primary, every junior, every young adult, every old adult, a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to possess us and, and fill us so we walk around in a world that is so adulterated with sin. We will not have a hankering for it. We'll recognize it for what it is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing in just a moment. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Now listen, if you've never been saved, you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want to ask you to do that today. You see, you come as you are. You don't get better first. Now sometimes we misunderstand all that. We say come as you are and then sometimes they stay as you are. 
come slovenly, stay slovenly. No, that isn't what it is. God says, you come and I'll change you. The biggest definition of salvation is C-H-A-N-G-E, changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. And Christ will give you a hankering after the things of God. Now, first of all, if you've never been saved, come to grips with that. Open your heart this morning. Just say, I want Jesus as my Savior. If he's already in your heart, then are you living for him? Are you serving him? Have you obeyed him? The first act of obedience in a Christian's life is baptism. God wants everybody that gets saved to be baptized. Then he wants us to serve him, live for him, study his word, serve him until one day God calls us home. And then we go home ready to enjoy heaven. What page is it, Song? 163, come every soul but sin oppressed. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Just like you are. If you're already a Christian and you need to move your membership to this church, we would love for you to do that. If you need a closer walk with the Lord, maybe you need to come and kneel and pray. Do whatever God says to your heart to do while we sing and while we pray.